Go Loud presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. I'm Sonia Lennon. And I'm Brendan Courtney, and you're listening to the Lennon Courtney podcast. This week, it's the Thinking Woman's Guide to My Weight Loss Secrets. In this episode, we talk about the world's obsession with weight loss and our approach to keeping healthy. And dare we say, our journey. Okay, stick on your runners and let's get physical. This is the Thinking Woman's Guide to My Weight Loss Secrets. How's your whole week? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Um... (laughs) Yeah, a bit crazy, a bit crazy. We we both, um, yeah. So one one of the one of the episodes that we have on the short list to cover is uh, relationships. Should I stay or should <laughs> I go? And we decided for the good of everybody to park that one and not do that one this week. So yeah, that that's a kind of a a, a potted history of my week. Yeah. Marching cards, people might say. Marching cards. That's an episode we should do. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, my week uh, was. Same. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> my mother is still in hospital making a good recovery now, so we're all good. But my God, I'm not a naturally caring person. I'm not either. You. That's what I've discovered. Yeah. I mean, I'm not built Ain't for no it. no Florence. No. 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 <laughs> anyway, so today we're talking about, about my weight loss secrets. My weight loss secrets always fascinated me because... It's like, you know, skincare secrets. People think there is a secret, first of all. That's always amused me. But second of all, I wanted to... We started talking about it because we've such a deep, rich engagement with this weight loss issue. Because of our ages, we've seen a change in attitude. So, full disclosure, we are completely and openly supportive and positively positive about body positivity. We we absolutely share that. We don't think there's any right body shape. We don't think there's any right weight. Um, I was always disappointed when I realised that on Off The Rails, women just wanted me to make them look lo- younger and thinner. And that always, that's kind of what triggered this podcast really. Yeah. It's like, why do you want to look younger and thinner? You're fab. So we're, we're not in any way body negative, but park that and my mother's obsession with her weight growing, you know, when we were growing up, she was constantly on a diet. You see the ill effects of that and all that. So we thought, like, it's amusing looking back now because it is such so his, historic for us, but also it's quite interesting. It is, and I think it probably perpetuates to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the things that I feel very strongly about. You know, if 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 you're messaging to your sons and daughters that you feel shit about how you look, that's that's sinking in there and that's staying there as little internal narrative that will be carried. Um, Which and is I, what I just described. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and, and I think that that's it, isn't it? That, that you know, your normality when you're growing up becomes your expectations in your adulthood. And um, I mean, weight loss was a constant theme. Yeah. In, in our house with my with my mom and my dad in two very different ways so like for me my mom struggled with her weight um, but didn't really want to face the reality of what she needed to do to deal with it whereas my dad was really sort of uh, had a much more analytical approach um, and so it's kind of it's the emotional versus the analytical in some ways uh, we grew up with the same. My mother was always on a diet. So my mother's very glamorous, was a hairdresser, was always on show, technically running her own business, you know, and, and looked the best always in the salon. So we'd talk about it all the time. And it was, I remember as a kid being bored. Of it, God, are we talking about this diet thing again? And she was always on crackers and she was always on carrots and she was always, but what we discovered years later was she was actually bulimic. 
she didn't have the word for it, but she used to call it getting rid. I remember her saying to my That's sister, extraordinary. When you just get rid, just go to the bathroom and get rid of it. And it's what a lot of women did in the 70s. It was part, it was normal. And it was normal. Imagine. And uh, fl- flip right to today. And a very good friend of mine works in St. Patrick's. And there's an entire wing for eating disorders. Do you know that? Yeah, it's yeah. extraordinary. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously... I have the kids' experience in school, but also my sister's experience in a very large school. And she says... As a teacher, by the as way. As a teacher, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What? She's got a kids' thanks, sister's thanks school? Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> this is the year she's going to get the leave insert. This year. Come on. Yeah. She's Come a on, teacher. Ashley. She's an art teacher. She's, she's fabulous. an amazing art teacher. Um, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, the amount of, uh, you know... Body, body issues and weight issues that she sees. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. Um, but she, I, what I couldn't get over was the size of the wing, right? So it's, it's really bedded into culture now as a real problem for teenagers, boys and girls, right? I, I'm actually still in shock at the fact that your mother... Got rid. ...exercised bulimia and yeah, and bulimia and behaviours. And... and, and <sighs> And how normalised that was to you. I think that's the shocker. Yeah, I I, I think, in the, look, she, she obviously, in a way, in her head, had it under control because she didn't do it all the time. And, I mean, I remember she did put on weight at one point in our lives and she's a tiny little frame. And I remember my father constantly calling her fat. I remember looking at him going, people in glass houses need to stop eating cake. What are you talking about? Like really, and it was acceptable for men to comment on women's weight. And he would comment on, in our, we'd be in the back of the car and he'd comment, Jesus, if you took a picture of our arse and them jeans, you'd never wear them again. That was his funny line. And I remember being, I genuinely remember being okay that's not funny now that's just mean and you're look at you you're not in shape like I always thought that was really odd that he couldn't see he was overweight as well I think yeah and I I think certainly for for my mum who admittedly and neither is your dad here to defend themselves so you know with respect I'm kind of thinking back on her oh I had the conversation with my dad when I was older I said you need to stop doing that yeah you know, and he said, I'm only missing. I said, no, no, it's a fa- I find it offensive. I don't like it. Should it? Stop it. Yeah. Would he? Would it be always towards women generally? Or would he, would he just see Listen, a bigger man and go, no? I went to see a play the other night and I, I, I am going to go on record and say this, called The Lonesome West. And the gags that were being peddled across the stage, the, the P word was used loads. I mean, I, I was like, oh God, stop saying it. And uh, your big gay monkey was used. And just... And the mm. crowd were really laughing at the visceral nature of the gag, not the irony of the gag, because they're all my mum and dad's age in the theatre. And so there's still that kind of wink and a nod, taxi driver, you can speak like that, goes on. And I, I was like, wow, this EDI shit is really working on me. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like... You can't unknow. I can't unknow. I don't... Stop it. It doesn't make it okay to say it. So I suppose like that, what we learned off the rails was you can never comment on someone's appearance and I always say it to you mm. Mm. you can say to somebody if they've changed their appearance and they obviously look great you look great you always compliment compliments are great but I really resent people commenting on my appearance if I wear shorts I'm sure even I remember um, Donna my friend Donna lost a lot of weight because she developed a, a really serious allergy to eggs and she didn't know it at the time so she really she, oh my god she was yeah I mean she was really really sick Brendan really eats vi- six eggs <laughs> Violently sick, and she just she lost so much weight, and and she was um, waitressing at the time, and one of her uh, customers said, "Oh, oh, you look amazing," and she said, "Well, actually, I've been really, really sick. sick," and she said, "Well, it totally suits you." I've heard that a lot. You know, and that's 
that's not okay either, you know? Yeah, but you know, the, it, it's funny, like the attitude, and, and we, I don't believe you can ever comment on any parents. If someone's comfortable in their skin, hey, let's get, you know, pom-poms and cheer for them. And all, we really believe in that. But I remember myself and Alan Duffy sitting in the Bailey at about 19 or 20. So do the maths, 25 years ago, thir- sorry, 30 years ago. Uh, so it was the early 90s. And we joked and we sat there and we would always say this. You can't stop getting old. You, at the time, couldn't stop being bald. And Alan used to always say, but you can never be fat. And we would giggle at that. But that was the mentality. That was it. You weren't in control if you looked like you weren't a perfect body shape. And we now know, thank God, there is no perfect body shape. Every body shape is different. So there's an awareness now. But um, anyway, back to what you were saying about your mom before we get too political about it. Yeah. Well, I suppose I'm looking at... So my dad... um would occasionally find himself a, a few pounds over what he was comfortable with. And I actually think that's the that's the nub of the whole thing. And oh, go on. It's, so it's certainly, I know, I know when I'm comfortable in my body. I know when my body feels like the, the right shape and the right mass for me, right? I do too, actually. And, yeah. and so it, it's, I'm, I don't, I, I consider myself slim. I don't consider myself thin. I don't think I'm, you know, I'm, I've got curves and and I don't want to be thinner than I am. But I know if I and this is probably watching my dad and learning my dad's behaviours. What he used to do was if he felt he was a few pounds over what he was comfortable as, he would uh, draw out a graph of the weight he, he was, mm. the weight he wanted to be and how many weeks he was giving himself day by day to lose that weight. And he would weigh himself every morning. And when he was up, he would eat less. When he was down, he would eat a little bit more and he would follow that that downward line wow. until the six weeks was up, until he had effectively mapped his journey from A to B. And like I kind of do that intuitively. I do weigh myself every day um, because I kind of feel, I know what feels right for me and I want to stay there. So I can't have a weighing scales in the house because mm. I'd, I'd sleep on it. I like I've often been in my friend's house and I I'm up in there. You've been in my house <laughs> and I got caught weighing myself. Tell them because I have a smart scale. So oh, Brendan's measurements came up on my phone. <laughs> I was up in her bathroom. Like if they're like oh, he's up there weighing himself. So because I am never at the weight I want to be at. And my so I'm different to you. I'm always wanting to be a little more lean or a little slimmer, and it's just it's completely down to the histrionics of what I grew up with, because I am this body shape. So there's emotion wrapped up in absolutely, that. and and I'm now very aware of it. So um, when I'm not feeling insecure or low, I, I'm very happy with who I am. But I grew up wanting a six pack because that's what boys were told they needed in order to look sexy, right? When you're a teenager, looking at the pop set. I can't imagine what it must be like now to be a teenager looking at Instagram. But, you know, that's what I wanted. But then I realised, well, I'm happy now. My body serves me really, really well and all those positive things you give yourself. But the legacy of how I grew up is still in my head. Of course it is. So I, I would train six days a week. I would really try and watch what I eat. And I Now? W- now, but it's still a work. <laughs> it's still but it is work. <laughs> but that's what, yeah, you know, a, a friend of mine was talking about this, you know, if you look at someone who's a celebrity and they're cut and they're honed and they're really tiny and tight, it's like, I look at those photos now and you go, that's sacrifice. It okay, is. that person is good for them. You know, that's, I will never do that amount of work that requires me to look like that. And that is just 
sacrifice well, no, and they are living their lives a different way there's two ways to go with that right one is my sister said that to me once she said mm. well nothing like being on the telly to keep the weight off you and that's true when you see yourself on TV a lot and you don't like you know maybe you look tired or you're not looking after yourself or, because for me it's not about work it's not about it's just feeling healthy and being well being and sorry that's the connection so when I started I was a fat teenager and I can say that opening that my aunt commented on it when my parents started to make a bit more money I was the youngest before my brother was born and I didn't even notice I was getting stuff. I mean, I had such a bad diet actually in my early teenage years. I was telling you, Sonia, my mother worked full time and she would give me a pound every day and I ate a six pack of club mix for lunch for three years. I mean, imagine I, so bad. My DNA must be screwed now, right? <laughs> That explains a lot. So, so yeah, anyway. Never mind I, your muscle memory, your gut memory must I was, be yeah, gagging so for once a you build, Once you build a fat cell, it never goes away. Anyway, no, I, I, I just got, didn't, and I never did sports. So I was, I, was, I went from the skinny little to I didn't even notice because I wasn't that aware of myself at that time it was about 12, 13 and my aunt said oh, the country air is really agreeing with you and I remember going what's that mean and my sister goes she said you're fat and I was like <gasps> and it cut me to the core I mean I remember where I was standing I remember because that I grew up knowing that that was the biggest insult you could give anyone or understanding that was, of course it's not but I became obsessed then with fitness and my mother bought us for Christmas imagine I was 14 an exercise bike and a trim track <laughs> Like she was obsessed, you know. So we grew up with this really negative view of how your body should be. I love, I love the way that she wrapped it in a bow that she was buying it for you. Yeah. Oh, she did, was buying it for us. She didn't hop on the bike? Not at all. I was watching television. I tell this in the way we were for Christmas. I was sitting on my exercise bike in the sitting room on my exercise bike watching television, eating a selection box, thinking it's burning while it's going. On. It's <laughs> Eating a selective box while cycling. I mean, I was only 14. So all that negative stuff around weight and your body but the next leap and this is where you can, you can be kind of wrong about the Matthew McConaughey's and the ripped people is when I had a theory for years because of our weather we don't look at our bodies that often like we're not a beach culture we're not a beach culture so we're not aware of what we look like but when you make the leap from I'm doing this to cut myself and rip myself and make myself look good to I feel really good with this when you recognise the endorphins that you get is are the same as alcohol or the same as drugs you actually go the well-being it's much, you can actually jump into a new state around well-being and well-being I like to think for 80% is where I'm at with it yeah. that's really good for my mental health it's really good for stability it's really good for my, my health and fitness and it makes me look better and that's just the fourth reason I like it now Not it was the primary reason I like working out in fitness but that was my own personal journey but really back to like I was saying like I did I did Slim Fast all the time remember Slim Fast the powder drink oh I remember there was a friend of mine I used to do Slim Fast uh, all friend, the time do you remember it yeah, so it was like, yeah, it was yeah. like a, a, a an alternative it was a great dot. gag it was a great gag Slim Fast for breakfast Slim Fast for lunch by 6 o'clock you're snatching Smarties from toddlers in the street <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember a friend of mine whose dad did Slim Fast so just explain Slim Fast so anyway. Slim Fast was a powdered um meal substitute um, and you would have two meals a day which would be slim fast which would be calorie controlled and and then you'd have a light it was huge a light meal for yeah. the third meal or whatever but my my <laughs> my friend's dad said to him I've been doing that that slim fast thing for four weeks now and uh, I'm after putting on a pile of weight and he's like well, what are you doing he's like I have my dinner I have my lunch I have my breakfast I have my slim fast I'm not going anywhere <laughs> Can I before I won't be able to relax into this conversation before I get to the facts out of my I'm so sorry, Esther. I'm so sorry. I tell you what, let's just let's just have a moment to acknowledge Esther's Esther's patience. Imagine doing a podcast with us two. Like there's Not no good. there's Not no good, oxygen Esther. in the room. She has to bring a mask. No, it's brilliant, but I'm like, I really cannot relax until I get to the facts. Go for it, these Esther. Both these 
rubbish facts. Anyway, the uh, the global gym industry is worth 96.7 billion what it was last year with more than 184 million gym members in total and half those people probably don't use the membership. The world uh, holds over 200,000 health and fitness clubs. I mean, these are silly facts. And US, Germany and the United Kingdom have the highest number of fitness club memberships. There you go, I've said it. You can tell so listen, the, the little thing people don't know about me is, so I became obsessed then with fitness at about seven, 16, 17, my leaving cert year, 16, 17, started going to Jane Shortall's dance classes and Jackie Skelly's all aerobics and Twink used to go to class. And then I trained to be a fitness instructor and I taught aerobics for nine years in Pulse and Temple Bar and in UCD. And I taught five nights a week. I was like, I thought I was fat, but I was fucking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so skinny and I did it in cycle shorts and I was a fucking great teacher. And I was a really good teacher. I was yeah. really good. I used I'd to, say you were. I used yeah. to scream at people and it was high energy, high impact aerobics, which is back now that that, that kind of, like I'm all, I was at one in the park for charities and I was like, is this not contraindicated? But um, I loved it because your endorphins would kick in and it was movement to music. But, but I... I would do that again now. I would teach again if mm. I got the opportunity because it was so good for me. Now, the other thing is, it did screw up my back. Uh, I, no, well, I, I look, I, I, I just know that I was a good teacher, but I was became obsessed. And there was people mm-hmm. in my front row that were obsessed that probably have really bad back injuries, dodgy knees, because you, it became an obsession. And it's a jolty, frictiony so kind don't, of exercise. So finding the balance, it's, yeah, it's a finding the, the balance really, isn't it? So so I went back a little bit and I because in my head I was thinking that... Um, you know, and there is an obesity epidemic. That's that's fact. Um, that that began in the seventies, sixties, and seventies with the low fat diets and the introduction of trans fats. Um, I I thought it was really linked to that. Um, but actually going back into the annals of history, as far back as seventeen twenty seven, writer Thomas Short <laughs> observed that overweight people lived near swamps. And he developed the avoiding swamps diet because he felt that if I'm over, on that diet, I, if o- <laughs> I haven't seen a swamp in if, months. If overweight people live near swamps, the the recommendation was to move away from swamps. So that was the, that was the first kind of broadly uh, publicised diet. But some of them were just crazy. So um, the in. The 1900s, an overweight businessman, Horace Fletcher, slimmed down and made dieting a pop culture phenomenon with his chewing diet. He recommended chewing food until it became liquid to prevent overeating. I think that still per- prevails that, as, that, as, a, as a general rule of thumb to some ex- to some extent. The less popular tapeworm diet, however, <laughs> was it didn't catch on. Uh, for obvious reasons that you would swallow a tapeworm to control your own weight. You know, I took a deworming tablet last year. My friends who've got kids told me that adults should we all should all take a deworming tablet. I had no symptoms, but apparently who are, who are your friends? They live in swamps. <laughs> <laughs> They're swamp folk, Brendan. And <laughs> got a problem with that? Wow. <laughs> But I, my sister, for her wedding, she makes no secret of it, took slimming tablets, which were basically speed. And uh, this is many years ago now. And um, it was mad. I mean, the effect of those tablets like that, 
that was speed. She was on yeah. speed. I mean, she wasn't sleeping or anything. So did yeah. she get them on the internet or something? No, the doctor prescribed them. Oh like my yeah, Lord. The doctor was, oh, you to, it was slimming tablets. It was a thing. It was an actual thing. But isn't no. this... I think uh, that's illegal now, we, is it? When we think about all of this, I'm sure you can still get them, right? You if think? you want them, I'm sure you can still oh, yeah. get them, yeah. Not but they're really bad for you, I think. Really bad. Ter- and like palpitations mm. and cardiac Angie, issues anxiety, and everything. Yeah. Oh. Um, but I think... I think what we're seeing here, and actually, I have to share this one. So this is this is from uh, uh, in a 2017 interview, right? Um, there was a claim made by the Breatharians. Breathe. Breatharians. Like right? that. So they say that subsisting on a diet of spirituality and sunlight and alone is enough. Oh. Um, and that prolonged fasting would eventually uh, not lead to starvation, but enlightenment. However, there have been incidences where devotees have been spotted eating and drinking. So they've been kind of largely debunked at this stage. <laughs> also, the fasting thing, apparently, there's a couple of nutritionists and personal trainers on the internet that I'm kind of fan of. The fasting thing, they're totally debunking now. You know, it's just about calorie if you deficit. Just if you want to lose weight, calorie deficit. And, and fasting does that, right? So yeah. I, I, I don't eat till one o'clock in the day. That's that's what I do. I I was a devoted breakfast eater. Devoted. Like I loved my breakfast. I loved my three meals a day. And actually looking back at how we were brought up, we weren't snackers in the house. No, it was just your meals, yeah. We'd never had biscuits in the house really. It was three meals and that was it. And then I suppose when I um, ditched one of those meals, not necessarily you're and and I think the 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 uh, wisdom is that as you grow older you need less intake anyway so the one thing that's always struck me about weight loss and the industry around it is there is no magic so I had a real realization when my dad died of his second stroke and then I had a blood clot and my sister had a stroke it was obviously oh it's gloopy blood I was like putting you know carrot cake into my mouth going I wonder anything to do with what I'm eating and then I really thought I had invented healthy eating I had, you know I don't join the dots right I knew healthy eating is important but I never joined the dots of the impact of what I was eating and how so I actually fundamentally now believe your nutrition is the most important thing in your life and breathing obviously and water but your nutrition changes everything about who you look, are look the, the, the analogy that I always say is if you had a sick fish in dirty water would you put a tablet into the water or would you change the now listen the water? to what I want to say about the wisdom Everybody fucking knows that. Even people who overeat, we know what's right and wrong. That's not the problem. The problem is our relationship with food. And I'm putting myself in there as well. If I don't have alcohol, I want a treat. Like it's old school. I can't, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I don't need this treat. So food is emotional. Very. Well, it's a reward, right? It's like cigarettes were a reward. So I would reward myself at a good conversation or at an essay well written. I'd have a cigarette when I smoke, you know, or I'd have a drink. And then I try not to do too much of that now. And so I'll have a, half a pack of fucking hobnobs you know so i know what the right thing to do is but the the rational part of my brain switches off and i just go nom, 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 nom. and so i really relate to that so it annoys me people go you just starve yourself for t-. yeah we fucking know that it's how do you connect the emotional response to food and i hope, no i don't believe anybody's cracked it by the way how do you sit down with somebody and i think you probably could do it one-on-one therapy with somebody who really knows what they're talking about and drill into your relationship. I was actually talking to a nutritionist yesterday and she does a thing called GAPS which is gut and psychology. Very good. So it's like, you know, really rounding out Do you know what I mean? I I do know it. I don't believe there's anybody in the world who doesn't know. 
I don't believe there isn't anybody in the first world who doesn't know what is right and what is wrong when it comes to nutrition. Who doesn't know what's bad and right. It's, the, the, it's that gap in the, the connection between your emotional response to what you're doing with food and, and your control of it. And I often lose that control as well. So I really relate to it, you yeah. know. But it's also because you're, we're being surrounded by all these images and these, we're being assaulted by messages all day. It's not just an individual making a rational choice in a room. It's like living in the world. You know, and our, our perception of what is healthy or beautiful or go is it's a tr- or what trends. Is, or what is enough. Or what is enough. Yeah. What is enough? We're constantly, it's just, a, it's a bigger thing. And to put it on one person, it's really hard. Because then the people turn it in on themselves and they... Also, if, 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 if life is t- tough, right? If something bad or something's not going your way even, or if you're lonely, or if you're... How you do know, you console yourself? Well, you console yourself when you cook yourself a nice fucking meal and you enjoy a nice bottle of wine. And, and you think that, I mean... I'm talking from personal experience. That's what I do. And so I, I really relate to that as well. So there's, I don't think there's any great secret, but I think that the, uh, my, my feeling and my personal experience with my family has been it's an emotional connection to food. And I don't mean that positively either. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's triggered by an emotional desire to, for a reward. Well, I think when food becomes the, the comforter, yes. that, that's where, when, you know, you're... Th- the power is with the food and not yeah. with you. Um, and I think going back, and it sounds obsessive that I would weigh myself every day, but I think for me, that is around awareness and accountability for me. Yeah. So I, I don't mind if I pig out or eat too much or drink too much, you know, time and time again, whatever it is, if I can, if I can still come back and still manage it on an ongoing basis. So listen to this. Here's, here's an interesting insight, right? So I, like that, can't have a weighing scale in the house because I'm just obsessed on it. And I go anything from 80 kgs to 85. I hate being 85, 86 because I f- my body shape doesn't change. My clothes are exactly the same. It's in my head. If I'm not running or working out, because this is from my se- when I was 17, I started working out. So I started giving myself conditions. Okay, you can have that night or you can have that thing if you do five workouts. Like, so it's actually mad. I mean, my relationship with it is, is not entirely good, I would say. It's getting better because I'm more relaxed about it and I get to understand it. But in my 30s, oh my God, I was obsessed. If I didn't get to the gym every other day, at least, I felt guilty. And when I look back at the pictures... I was the same. same. All the way through. All the way through. Now, there was a time during Chloe's show, I don't know what was going on, but I definitely got a bit round around the face. I don't know. But I think that's your body changing as you're getting a bit older as well. But pretty much looked the same, Mm. you know. So it was all in my fucking head when I look back now. So, and, and I suppose that's kind of what I'd like to say to younger people as well is, Honestly, a lot of it is at your own. Yeah, and, be- and we've, seen, yourself we've up. seen this time and time again, you know, that if you're deferring satisfaction and contentment for some future date when things are different, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like that is literally the worst thing you can do. So as you stand right now, whoever you are, whatever you are, however you identify, like if if you can find a way to have compassion for yourself and to love yourself as you are right now, and that's what we saw every time. And, and that, 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 that actually that creates its own momentum and fuel uh, 100% for change and, and change is not you know a, a stint or or a, a diet period it's actually about how do you compassionately live your life day after day after day for your own health and well-being and that's I was because I was saying this kind of came from I was asked to do an interview with the examiner which is your wisdoms on life and one of the big ones was exactly what you've described I spent my adult 20s and 30s with conditions when I get this job when I get mm-hmm. lose this weight when I have this body when I, when I, I and okay I'll start it tomorrow so not only was the when I 
putting putting it down the line but it was also yeah. making me feel bad and of I was course. Like, instead of just going fuck this is great I'm alive I'm 32 yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I had so many conditions in my head so when when I stood shoulder to shoulder with a woman who's 55 and I was doing off the rails I could see like I got so much out of that programme I was like oh god you've given yourself all these conditions and you're getting old deferring and you're deferring your life satisfaction yeah. Yeah. yeah so rather and even when I'm running now I keep going stay now be here don't think about just be here and that that's just that's a movement as well the, being in the present was was around us when we were younger yeah. but it was just yogas and Buddhists and people who were really into it now being present is 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 general parlance people talk about it I need to be present I need to be here it's not easy though no it's not easy that's the thing and that's why we have to have compassion for others and, and for, for ourselves, ourselves yeah, primarily yeah, yeah. yeah and how do you you know you're saying earlier Sonia when your, your mum and dad had different approaches to diet and their physical appearance or whatever are you mindful now in your home the conversations you have are you I would imagine you're quite open about things or yeah. what do you well before you answer that just that on, on what Esther just said wasn't there was there or wasn't there I'm asking the question but just before you go into the kids was there a sort of an acceptance that his version of it was for men and her version of it was for women? No. no. As an observer, what I could see was her frustration um, at her own weight, her lack of planning to address it. and Just being emotional. Yeah, yeah, emotional. And also slightly in denial that (laughs) that it was what what she was eating was, was... adding to it um, whereas he took a very analytical approach and it worked and so as the tiny kid observer you're going well we have choices here right yeah. as to how we deal with this situation and his is working and hers isn't Yeah. and and I think that that is where that's the one that stuck with me thankfully you know interesting isn't it but in terms of the, the at home I think yeah it's uh, for starters we're lucky in that we're a household that likes to cook and doesn't regularly eat processed foods. And I think that's, you know... I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but we just... We do, and that's not to say that we wouldn't mm-hmm. have the, the cheesy, salty snacks or the whatever it is. Of course we do. Um, but we like cooking. We like cooking with mm. ingredients from scratch, doing that. That's that's a particular joy of mine. Um, Sonia's out here curing egg yolks in her... Uh, oh, I did cure an egg yolk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you did. Um, and delicious it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's and and even even watching. The what kids. did you cure it of? <laughs> well, what was the thing I showed you yesterday? It's like the key to uh, a, the key to a non-cream based creamy soup is hiding in your pantry. And somebody had responded on Twitter. Okay, I'm hiding in my pantry. What next? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like even watching the kids growing up, their height and weight was not linear. So as they're about to have a, a growth spurt, they their bodies put on weight to prepare for the growth spurt. So you could kind of see this mm. sort of flexing of body shape wow. along the way. And and that's normal as well. And and we don't talk about that. And And that's the body doing what it does. Um, and I was a very unfortunate child. <laughs> my head grew first. I had a huge head. Oh my God, it was awful. <laughs> Look, like when I think of it, and my nickname was Octo. <laughs> Octagon. Octagon. And I, and I remember a doctor sort of saying, it happens, the head grows first. Big <laughs> huge <laughs> Damn it, why my head? Like imagine how unfortunate I was. Bobblehead Brandon. Bobblehead Brandon, yeah. So, what are we putting on our t-shirt, our Len and Courtney podcast t-shirt? What have we learned? Um, what would we put on the t-shirt after this? Give yourself a break. Take a break. <laughs> take a break. The thinking woman's guide to take a break. There are no secrets. Yeah. 
And also, but but go easy on yourself because I actually think when I'm in that negative spiral and the hobnobs are calling and you, once you go, ah, I, f- I fucked up, I just fuck up royally now. Yeah. So, and then you feel really bad because you, and that's a, that's a takes, when you talk to people who struggle with what they eat um, and their, their control around food and you understand that, they kind of really get that. Yeah, once you do one small fuck up, then it, that opens the gates for you to just say, Throw I've it. lost it now. I've lost it now. Fuck it. And then you wake up and you feel really bad about yourself. So it's about finding that moment in the present and going, I'm okay. Stop beating yourself up. And that's really good to be able to go, Jesus, I didn't do anything wrong. Stop it now. It's fine. You know, but I think when we're teenagers and young adults, like we just beat the shit out of ourselves and compare ourselves to people all the time. So that is really hard as well. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's the t shirt right there. Who's joy? <laughs> the Lennon Courtney podcast is an Exceed Potential production. Episodes are produced by EOMD Productions and social media is managed by Judy Gartland. Follow at Lennon Courtney on all social media platforms for the latest news and updates. New episodes are released every Thursday. Right.